This is Taekwon Lewis. You're listening to Dash to the Draft on Sports Crunch. Welcome back to Sports Crunch with D. Crom, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, David Cromwell, for the second to last edition of our 2018 Dash to the Draft series. We are going to break down the draft classes in the NFC South, which was the most competitive division in the National Football League last year, sending three of its four teams to the playoffs. Did the Tampa Bay Buccaneers do enough to take that next step? How much did the Panthers and Falcons close the gap on the defending division champion New Orleans Saints? Joining us to answer those questions and a lot more about these four NFC South draft halls is Brian Bosarge, the founder of DeepFriedDraft.com. Brian is also a voter for the Fred Belitnikoff Award, the annual honor given to college football's best wide receiver. It's a pleasure to welcome Brian to the show for the very first time. How are you, Brian? David, I'm doing great. It's a it's an honor to be on the Sports Crunch podcast and talk a little NFL draft with you. It's an honor to have you on as well, and your credentials speak for themselves. And without further ado, let's start off with this draft class of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who started off their draft by trading down five spots with the Buffalo Bills. And I personally thought they were going to take Derwin James, but they surprised us all by taking Vita Vea instead. At first, I did not understand this pick, but as the draft eventually war on, the theme of Tampa wanting to get meaner and nastier came to light, and I understood this pick a little bit better. That said, Vita Vea will only be worth the value of the 12th overall pick, in my opinion, if he turns into a reliable quarterback disruptor on passing downs. Do you see him turning into such a weapon? I mean, I think it's very possible. I mean, I like Vita Vea in that role, but I think he's going to, I think his play will actually be elevated just playing next to Gerald McCoy. I don't see how, you know, it, it won't be, but I, I like uh, Vita Vea. I thought they got good value there at the uh, 12th pick. I think he's a guy they probably even considered at pick seven before they got the offer from Buffalo. Uh, I, too, thought Derwin James would have been the pick. I thought Derwin James was going to be the pick at seven. Uh, but as they made uh, the other picks later in the draft, it kind of, you know, you could see where their plan was at. Oh, you most definitely could. And playing next to Gerald McCoy will definitely help. And heck, uh, Gerald McCoy has been screaming for a guy to take a defender's attention away from him for, for many years. And I think there's a good chance Vita Vey can be that guy as early as this year. Do you think Gerald McCoy is going to get more one-on-one opportunities as a result of Vita Vey's presence? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Vita Vey has been taking double teams now for the last two years at Washington. I mean, and Vita Vea's presence helped uh, guys like Elijah Qualls the last couple of years and to get the extra pass rush looks they wouldn't have got. So I think it's going to help Gerald McCoy immensely. Oh, absolutely. I can't wait to see how Gerald McCoy feasts this season. And that trade down with Buffalo left the Buccaneers with three picks in the second round, and they used two of them to address the secondary with two corners, MJ Stewart of North Carolina, who you and I saw at the Senior Bowl this year, and Carlton Davis of Auburn. And if you look at Tampa's current starting corners, you have Brent Grimes, who's probably in the last year of his NFL career, Vernon Hargraves, who's been a massive disappointment after going 11th overall in 2016, and Ryan Smith, their fourth-round pick in that 2016 draft. Which of those two rookies, in MJ Stewart or Carlton Davis, has the best chance to crack the starting lineup this year? In my opinion, I think it's Carlton Davis. I actually like I liked him better than uh, MJ Stewart by almost a full round and a half. Uh, Carlton Davis to me is just an excellent press man corner. Um, he after his he had a sensational freshman year at Auburn, and after that, teams just kind of stopped throwing at him. 
but you can tell his his skills are there. Uh, I'll, MJ Stewart elevated himself immensely at the Senior Bowl, but to me, as far as game tape goes, I like Carlton Davis uh, a lot better. Yes, and you mentioned that Carlton Davis will likely be one of the two boundary corners for Tampa going forward, but what is the long-term role for MJ Stewart? Is he a slot corner, or Chris Sims said on the Bleach Report uh, podcast on draft night that he is more of a safety to him. Um, what role do you see MJ Stewart sliding into eventually? I think eventually, you know, I think he might be the other boundary corner opposite of uh, Carlton Davis to go uh, once, like you said, Brent Grimes is probably in the last year of his deal. I think Carlton Davis is an upgrade uh, over Ryan Smith. And But, I mean, he could end up in the slot uh, if Vernon Hargraves doesn't pick his game up. And I I'm, can't say how disappointed I am with Vernon Hargraves. I was at a top 10 grade on him coming out. I thought he'd be a lot better than what he's been. So uh, hopefully he can get it figured out. We hope so, too. You've been put on notice, Vernon Hargraves. Let's see how you respond to the challenge this year. And with the other pick the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had in round two, they selected who they hope will become the consistent option they've needed at running back for so long in Ronald Jones. What skills does Ronald Jones bring to Tampa's backfield that they've been sorely lacking in recent years? Jones, to me, has excellent vision. He is a breakaway threat anytime he touches the football. I would have loved to have seen his uh, pass, you know, a better use of him in the past game at Southern Cal. But that maybe, you know, is the way their offense was set up to not run that way. But uh, I think Jones overall is the best running back on the roster of Tampa Bay has right now and should be their uh, their number one back. Oh, he most definitely should. And what I believe the Bucks should be hoping is that uh, Ronald Jones turns into this guy that you could keep feeding carries to throughout the game to take more pressure off of Jameis Winston so Jameis Winston doesn't have to throw the ball 40 times a game. And it also lowers the risk for some of those mistakes that Jameis is prone to. Uh, exactly. And uh, he, he needs a guy that he can depend on. I just don't think that's Jaquiz Rogers. Uh, Charles Sims is probably still their third down back because you don't have the question. You have the questions of Jones in the past game. But I mean, he's to me better than Peyton Barber, Jaquiz Rogers, no doubt. Yes. And hopefully the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did what they had to do to take that next step forward that we expected them to take last year. And moving on to the Atlanta Falcons, just two years removed from a Super Bowl, but uh, They've solved some pressing questions, I believe, in this draft. Since Roddy White's play deteriorated a couple years ago, the Falcons have been looking for that consistent running mate for Julio Jones. Uh, No offense to Mohamed Sanu, who is a good player, but his play leaves much to be desired. Thus, with their first-round pick, the Falcons selected another Alabama wide receiver to play opposite Julio in Calvin Ridley. Is Calvin Ridley likely that long-term successor to Roddy White? And how much will his presence help the Falcons' offense recapture the magic from that 2016 Super Bowl season? I mean, to me, Calvin Ridley gives Atlanta another deep threat. He creates separation in his routes, like probably better than any other receiver that was available in this draft. And it also allows uh, Atlanta to move Mohamed Sanu into the slot, which I think is probably his better position. So he had a lot of success there in Cincinnati. Oh, most definitely. And do you think the Falcons, uh, with uh, Calvin Ridley now in the fold, would you be surprised if they become a top five total offense again this year? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you've already got two stud running backs. Now you add a, another stud wide receiver to go with uh, to go with them. And, uh, you know, Austin, if Austin Hooper can continue to develop as a tight end, yeah, that gives them a full-fledged, uh, full-fledged set of skill position players. Oh, it most certainly does. And another thing that Roddy White did well was he feasted on those underneath routes and he was able to move the chains. Do you think Calvin Ridley plays such a role like that as well for the Falcons, aside from being that other deep threat aside from Julio? Yeah, I think he can offer that. I mean, he's an excellent route runner. Um, I don't I don't know how well he'll be, you know, operating out of the slot, maybe taking the big hit, but he's definitely uh, 
he excels getting in and out of his routes. And I think, you know, that creates the separation needed to get open and have success in the NFL. Oh, no wonder he drew a lot of Reggie Wayne comparisons leading up to the draft. And I believe the Falcons hit a home run with their pick of Calvin Ridley, which will add another invaluable dimension to their already explosive offense. But they were also looking for another boundary corner to play opposite of Desmond Trufant. And they had to be absolutely ecstatic that Isaiah Oliver of Colorado fell all the way to them in round two. Many on Twitter as well as on television were absolutely surprised that Isaiah Oliver fell as far as he did. Why do you think Isaiah Oliver lasted until that 58th overall pick? I believe probably lack of uh, lack of game tape. I mean, he only really had the one year as a starter at Colorado, so that probably played a role. But he, he's a phenomenal athlete, a former deca- he was a decathlete in high school. I mean, you can't teach that kind of athleticism, so I feel like that's going to help him immensely going forward. Oh, especially in that Dan Quinn defense where speed is a must, and Isaiah Oliver definitely fits the profile of a Pete Carroll, Dan Quinn uh, cornerback. And do you expect Isaiah Oliver to be starting week one opposite Desmond Trufant with Robert Alford moving into the slot? I'm not going to rule it out, but I also, you know, don't know that that's, you know, if he rushes along, he maybe he needs some adjustment time, so to speak. So, I mean, you've got some other guys on the roster that can probably hold it down until he's ready to go. But, you know, he's definitely a contributor on special teams uh, day one. But I don't know that he's a starter week one. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch Isaiah Oliver's development in Atlanta. And he's in very good hands under the tutelage of Dan Quinn and Marquand Manuel. And the Falcons also wanted to address the defensive line after losing Dantari Poe in free agency. And they did so in the third round with the defensive star of the East-West Shrine game, Deidre Sonat of South Florida. Is Deidre Sonat a better long-term replacement for Dantari Poe? Or is he a better long-term replacement for Grady Jarrett if the Falcons aren't able to re-sign Grady Jarrett, hypothetically speaking? I think that's probably where he's a better fit. is more of the in-line as a three-tech than maybe a, a pure nose. But I, I like uh, Sanat's pass rush ability, and uh, he's a solid run defender. Uh, he could be, like you said, if, if, if Grady Jarrett gets outpriced in free agency, I think that's probably a better fit for us to not there than maybe as a starter next to him. But definitely as a sub-package guy early on, I think he contributes there. Yeah, so that's exactly what the Atlanta Falcons were looking for this draft. Another body to give some interior pass rush, and I think the Atlanta Falcons, at least on paper, had one of the best drafts uh, this year, especially in the early rounds. And moving on to the Carolina Panthers, the runners-up last year in the NFC South, and like the Falcons have been trying to do with Roddy White, the Panthers have been constantly searching for an heir to Steve Smith Sr. for the past several years. And they hope that search ended with their selection of wide receiver DJ Moore of Maryland in round one. And during the NFL Network broadcast of the first round, Steve Smith himself referred to DJ Moore as his, quote, spirit animal. Do you see any similarities in DJ Moore's game to Steve Smith's game? I'm sure there's there's some, but I mean, I love DJ Moore. Uh, I, he's a guy when he came out early, I didn't I didn't really know a whole lot about him. Maryland wasn't exactly at the top of my watch list every week. But uh, after I did some study on him after he declared for the draft, I was like, wow, this guy is tremendous. Uh, The only 1,000-yard receiver in the Big Ten this year had uh, uh, call passes from four different quarterbacks. It's just amazing what he was able to do this year for Maryland. And he has the speed and uh, route running and hands to to be everything that Steve Smith uh, was with Carolina. Oh, absolutely. And uh, you clearly think that DJ Moore is going to eventually grow into that new wide receiver one in Carolina, correct? 
I mean, it wouldn't shock me if he was wide receiver one early on this season. Oh, absolutely, because this was arguably their biggest need because Torrey Smith is just a rental right now, and Devin Funches is essentially a one-trick red zone pony, and Greg Olson's getting old. You needed a new guy for Cam Newton to throw the ball to, and they might have gotten the best wide receiver in this draft. As much as I love Calvin Ridley, uh, you can argue that DJ Moore has more upside, wouldn't you say so? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. What are going to be the defined roles for both Dante Jackson and Rashawn Golden in this Panthers defense going forward? Well, after studying Dante Jackson, I thought that he was a straight nickel. I didn't. I don't think he's a man cover corner at all. I think he's going to have to make his hay in the slot, but I think he's a you know can help in the return game as well if it needed there. Rashawn Golden's a guy I just did not get. I uh, heard all the hype and the buzz picked up about him, but I did not think he was a third round value at all. And uh, I just I can't see him cracking the lineup uh, or the starting lineup anytime soon. If he does, I think Carolina's going to have serious issues. Not a not not a Rashawn Golden fan at all. Uh, yes, Lance Zierlein had him as a round four, round five type of player, and uh, I read that uh, some people view him as a corner, others view him as a safety. Is that jack of all trades, master of none kind of a vibe to Rashawn Golden? One of the main reasons why uh, you're not as high on him as the Panthers were. Yeah, absolutely. I mean you know, okay at everything, but good at nothing type of guy. Yeah, I think that's kind of what Rashawn Golden is. I was actually lower on him than Lance Erlon was. I had him around in the sixth round area. So this was, to me, a huge reach for Carolina. Yeah, well, hopefully um, Rashawn Golden proves uh, you wrong uh, as we root for all our draft picks to uh, prove everybody wrong in this business. And on day three, the Panthers took three dips into the linebacker pool. And that makes a lot of sense, given the fact that Thomas Davis will be retiring at the end of the 2018 season. They started out with Marquise Haynes of Ole Miss, a guy who we saw at the Senior Bowl. And Haynes was an edge rusher in college, but Lance Zierlein projects him to be an off-ball linebacker in the NFL. And they followed that up with Jermaine Carter of Maryland and Andre Smith of North Carolina. Which of those three linebackers have the best chance to potentially replace Todd Davis in the starting lineup next year? None. (laughs) I'm going to say zero as far as that goes. I just don't think you're going to replace a guy with Thomas Davis with anybody, uh, any of those three. Of the three, I like Marquise Haynes the most, but I do like him more as a a sub-package rusher, special team site guy. I don't don't know that he's an off-ball linebacker in the NFL. Yes, and given the fact that next year's linebacker class looks to be as deep, if not deeper, the Panthers will probably look for the long-term heir to Thomas Davis next spring. And moving on to the reigning division champion, New Orleans Saints, who, in my opinion, made arguably the riskiest move in the first round by surrendering their 2019 first-round pick to move all the way up the draft board to select Marcus Davenport. Despite being viewed by many as a project, the Saints see the freakish athletic pass rusher out of Texas San Antonio as the final piece of their Super Bowl puzzle. Statistically speaking, what kind of season do the Saints need out of Marcus Davenport this year in order to justify that investment? To justify that investment this season, I would have to think that he has to get eight to ten sacks. I mean, in my opinion, to me, I just don't did not like this move on draft day at all. I talked about it uh, after the draft various radio spots I did locally here. I just I don't think for a team that is in win now mode, because you have one to two years with Drew Brees left, I just do not believe they added a player at all in this draft that helps them win in twenty eighteen. Oh, I completely agree. I was talking with my good friend Nick Kendall, who is an NFL draft analyst for MileHighHuddle.com. It's the uh, CBS Sports webpage for the Denver Broncos. And Nick uh, and I were talking about the edge rushing prospects, and he said Marcus Davenport 
He only got his way into the first round in his opinion because of his athletic measurables and raw upside. Uh, he saw on tape that he always lost the leverage battle, and it is um, wishful thinking to say that he will learn how to win that leverage battle this year right away. Well, I mean, it, it showed in the three senior bowl practices. He got beat every day by the uh, offensive lineman that he was going against. Now, during the game itself, he was unblockable and dominated, but during three days of practice, he just he did not uh, – he did not win very many of the battles that he had. And uh, it, it showed up that way in some of the tape in Conference USA where he was getting outmanned by some of those guys that won't even sniff the NFL. Oh, absolutely. I personally wanted this pick to be Lamar Jackson since they surrendered a first-round pick because you only surrender that type of capital to get quarterbacks. You, you don't do this for raw projects like Marcus Davenport. Well, I mean, I know we all have the benefit of hindsight now, but in my opinion, if you even just stay at 27, you don't surrender the first round pick. If you want to pass rush, you take Harold Landry at 27. He fell to 41. To me, he was the, you know, the second best pass rusher in this draft class. I had a top 10 grade on Harold Landry. I thought he was, you know, injured this year, but in 2016, you know, he was one of the most dominant game tapes you'll, you'll see. And uh, he showed that he was back at the combine, you know, his athleticism. So I just, I did, I thought that was, would have been the better play or, Say at 27 draft Lamar Jackson because he failed that far. You know, so I just don't get the trade up for Marcus Davenport. And now you basically punted the, uh, your your draft next year because you have no first round pick. Oh, I completely agree with everything you just said, Brian. I personally thought, based on what I was hearing from some friends in the know, that Harold Landry was going to go in the top 10. I heard the Chicago Bears had an eye on him at 8, but apparently injuries slid him all the way to 41 where the Tennessee Titans scooped him up in round 2, although the Saints, in my opinion, should have scooped him up at pick 14 because I think he would have given them an impact this season, and Marcus Davenport will not. But in round three, I like this pick a lot better. The Saints drafted an intriguing wide receiver talent that we also saw at the Senior Bowl, and I'm talking about Traquan Smith out of Central Florida. Uh, Traquan Smith tested very well at the Combine, and he's an explosive playmaker, averaged over 15 yards per catch during his career at UCF. And after the season, the Saints can get out of the contracts of both Ted Ginn and Cameron Meredith cheaply. Let's suppose they end up releasing both Ted Ginn and Cam Meredith. In that event, whose role does Traquan Smith replace, Ted Ginn's or Cam Meredith's? Oh, probably uh, Cam Meredith more than uh, Ted Ginn because I think they have you know other guys that can fill the Ginn role on offense. But uh, Traquan, but again, this is what I said earlier. This was another pick eyed towards 2019. I just don't think Traquan Smith's going to do anything for you in 2018 because at, at best right now he's what fifth or sixth on the list of targets that you know Drew Brees is going to look at on every play. I mean, he's going to go to Kamara. He's going to go to Ben Watson. He's going to go to Michael Thomas again. Cam Meredith. I mean, where does Traquan Smith fit in the offense this year? I just I don't see much of an impact for him in 2018. Neither do I. And he is Brian Bosarge, ladies and gentlemen, DeepFryDraft.com. Also a Bolitnikoff Award voter. Follow him on Twitter at DeepFryDraft. And Brian, it was such a pleasure having you on the program. But before you go, we want to play a little game here called Overreaction, Not an Overreaction. And in this game, I will say something about a prospect drafted within the NFC South that we haven't discussed yet. And you will say whether it's an overreaction or not an overreaction in your judgment, starting with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Alex Kappa, one of those offensive linemen who consistently beat Marcus Davenport in one-on-ones at the Senior Bowl, he will beat out Caleb Beninock for the Buccaneers starting right guard spot. I think you're dead on. I think uh, I think Alex Kappa showed at the Senior Bowl that he's a much better guard prospect than he is a tackle prospect. And uh, I think he's going to fit in. I think he ends up picking up being a starting role at some point this season. 
Back to the Falcons. In two to three years, not only will Russell Gage become a Pro Bowl special teams ace, he will also become the Falcons' starting slot receiver as well. No. <laughs> I, I, I saw nothing of Russell Gage as a wide receiver to indicate that he'll be a slot receiver. Maybe he's a, a good special teams guy, maybe even a Pro Bowl special teamer, but I can't, I can't see him being anything much of a contributor at wide receiver. Consider the first part of that statement, not an overreaction, and the latter part, an overreaction. And moving back to the Panthers, their selection of Ian Thomas in the fourth round will eventually be viewed as one of the biggest steals in the 2018 NFL draft because he will grow into the best two-way tight end from this draft class. That's an overreaction. I think Ian Thomas was a fourth, fifth-round pick. I think he's a number two tight end at best. He has inconsistent hands. He's a good athlete, but too inconsistent uh, pass catching for me to be much more than a uh, solid number two. And last but not least, Boston Scott, the running back out of Louisiana Tech that the Saints picked in the sixth round. He will be the change of pace back behind Alvin Kamara as Mark Ingram serves his four-game suspension to start the 2018 season. That's an overreaction. I think they already had that guy, the same guy on the roster in Daniel Lasko. If Daniel Lasko is healthy, I think he's probably the uh, next guy in line to uh, take carries after Kamara. Brian Bosarge, DeepFryDraft.com. Follow him on Twitter, at DeepFryDraft. It was a pleasure having you on, Brian, and we hope to have you back on again in the very, very near future. Hey, anytime, David. I appreciate you having me on. We appreciate you as well, Brian. And that's it for today here on Sports Crush with Deke Grom. But we'll be back later this week with our recap of the NFC West Draft Classes, the final edition of our 2018 Dash to the Draft series. So stay tuned. Also, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as an up-to-date blog of mine at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that's crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Brian Bosarge, especially since there's never an off-season for talking football. For Brian Bosarge, our producer Chris Broadhead, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as usual, stay awesome.